0: Welcome to HSDF The Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Today's program is the first in a two-part discussion featuring CISA Director Jen Easterly and former Congressman Jim Langevin on coordinating cyber operations between the public and private sectors, secure by design technologies, and how CISA is prepared to take on evolving cyber threats. This program was recorded in conjunction with the HSDF Policy Symposium, the evolution of federal cybersecurity on June 21st 2023 It's great to be with you today and uh, I appreciate your leadership at at CISA uh, as uh, I'm proud of worked with you over the years, and uh, also be a a proud member of the CISA Advisory Board now that I've uh, left Congress. I'm a recovering politician. (laughs) I uh, should
1: just say at the outset, thank you so much for your leadership, your partnership, and everything that you did to really pave the way for national cybersecurity, federal cybersecurity. And I'm very grateful that you're continuing to serve with CISA on our advisory committee. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. My honor. So um, I thought you know we begin by uh, just talking about how uh, CISA has evolved over the years. So you're about five years in now, and 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 the role it plays in in defending the the .dot gov and then uh, its importance of working with the private sector, especially private sector critical infrastructure. You know, I've often said that you know in in government we have. Um, uh, U.S. Cyber Command and, and working closely with NSA, and of course defending the DODEN and uh, the .dot mil network. Uh, CISA is responsible for uh, protecting the .dot the gov network, uh, and then you have really the .dot com world, including all private sector critical infrastructure, where all the bad things could happen. Right. But we don't have a director or a general in charge of protecting the .dot com world, and private sector really needs an effective government partner in order to really thrive and and stay cyber secure. And that's, I know where where CISA comes in. So I I wanted to just kind of turn it over to you to talk about, you know, how CISA has matured and its role working with private sector.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm sure folks here have a little background, but I'll go ahead and give the thumbnail sketch anyway. So four and a half years old, we were established in November of 2018 and we play Probably three critical roles as relevant to this discussion. First, we were set up to be America's civilian cyber defense agency. As you mentioned, we have U.S. Cyber Command set up in 2009. Uh, So we play that role for the .gov as well as for critical infrastructure. Uh, The second role that we play is as the operational lead for federal cybersecurity, the .gov specifically uh, for what's called the FSEB, the Federal Civilian Executive Branch. And then finally, a role that was written into the CISA statute as the National Coordinator for Critical Infrastructure Security and resilience. And that's where we're, where we're working with the private sector as well as the sector risk management agencies to ensure that we have an ability to manage and reduce cyber risk. So, altogether, our mission is to lead the national effort to understand, manage, and reduce uh, risk to our cyber and our physical infrastructure that Americans rely on every hour of every day. And I'm sure everyone in this audience knows, but sometimes when I talk about critical infrastructure, people take it as a very technical term, but you know, as I explain, it's really how we get our water and our power and our healthcare and our transportation and our communications. And so it really is the systems and networks that we rely upon every day. And as everybody knows, the vast majority of them are owned and operated by the private sector which is why the role of CISA as a partnership agency and largely a voluntary agency, one that every day works to create trusted valued partnerships through transparency, through responsiveness, through our expertise and all of our technical assistance. That's why it's so important uh, for us to be able to create those types of uh, engagements and relationships. And as I mentioned at the outset, Jim, um, your work for decades, really, in leading this, and the work that you did as part of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission with our friends Tom Fanning, who I think is going to be here later, and of course, Chris Inglis and Suzanne Spaulding, really set CISA up for success in a way that we would not have been able to evolve as we have over the last couple years. You know, I'm coming up on my second year here, uh, and the things that have changed since the Cyberspace Solarium Commission and the recommendations that you all made, the NDAA in 2021 that instantiated, I think, almost half, maybe more than half of those recommendations, uh, a lot of those went to CIS's benefit, and it's enabled us to really transform our ability to be America's uh, civilian cyber defense agency, but also really to manage the .gov in a way that we never could have done before and so the the stark contrast from where we were during the days of solar winds to where we are now is really I think incredibly encouraging for the nation not to say there's not a lot more work to do but I think we're on a really terrific path and a lot of it is due to your leadership
0: thank you thank you for that overview and and how is the workforce doing? And the the resources have you the, have been given mm-hmm. enough resources from Congress? As you heard, I I touched on okay. uh, the fact that there may have been attempt to call back some money, but under your leadership, I don't think there was much left to call back. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think two million of the six hundred and fifty million. So tiny, okay. tiny amount. Not bad. Um, we are very dedicated to being good stewards of taxpayer dollars, and we have, as you know really benefited from incredible bipartisan support uh both from you chairman thompson uh uh, uh, congressman katko i mean it's been pretty terrific and that has continued frankly under uh chairman garbarino uh ranking member swalwell uh certainly um we have continued to get the support that we need um with respect to the budget as you mentioned uh, the first time the FY 24 budget was the first time where the president's budget request was actually over the FY 23 enacted, where we had I think about 300 uh, plus million more than the last budget request, and in the hack mark that came out yesterday, um, we had more than the FY 23 enacted, a little less than the FY 24 budget. So again, we'll be about a three billion dollar agency, which is about one billion more um, since I came in. And I think we've been doing what the Congress would hope we would do with that, which is helping to defend the nation in cyber, build the trusted partnerships, and then perhaps most importantly, because at the end of the day, people matter more than anything, ensuring that we are bringing on the right talent. And I'm really proud that over the past two years, we've hired uh, almost 1,200 people on the team, which is pretty incredible, and some really, really amazing, amazing talent. And we've done it in uh, creative ways. Obviously, we're using the cyber talent management system, uh, but we've also built a culture, I think, that attracts some of the best talent. We have uh, flexibility in how we manage folks. Uh, We provide fantastic opportunities uh, to work across the country with partners in industry at the state and local level. Uh, And we have cool new programs. We just announced today another one of our cyber innovation fellows where we bring in folks from the private sector uh, for two or three days a week. They come in for about six months and they work with us as a assisted teammate. They bring that expertise from the private sector. Uh, And then they bring back to the private sector what CISA is, how we operate, the value add, and we can share each other's best practices. So we are excited uh, to learn from each other and we're looking for interesting ways to continue to collaborate. But it's been a a terrific journey as we build the workforce and I've been super proud. The last thing I'd say is the field is actually, I think, one of the most exciting things about CISA and that's the growth of our cybersecurity advisors, our cybersecurity state coordinators, our protective security advisors, who are out in every state working with on the front lines of industry, but also working with state and local, working with election officials, and that high touch that we have in a voluntary partnership where we can provide free services um, is really magical when you can get it working right. And so I'm excited about continuing to to grow and build that workforce as well.
0: Excellent. Good answer. Thank you for the update on that. And can you talk about your view, the uh, cyber threat landscape uh, as it stands right now? Um, I know that uh, there had been some high profile cases where CISA working with federal partners like FBI had real value add with uh, combating things like ransomware and such. But can you give us a an overview of the cyber kind of threat landscape that we're facing. Right
1: yeah, now. absolutely. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, it really is these types of crimeware mm-hmm. ransomware threats that we worry a lot about. We work on, uh, the joint ransomware task force that came out of the Circia legislation that you mentioned. We've stood that up. We asked FBI to join us as a co-lead, Uh, We've implemented the Ransomware uh, Vulnerability Warning Pilot, which helps us to reduce the the prevalence of ransomware around the country for everybody that signs up for our vulnerability scanning. Uh, And we've also put in place the pre-ransomware uh, notification initiative, which is one of the really exciting things based on the trusted relationships that we've developed with researchers and with threat intel uh, partners and industry infrastructure teams, will get tips on ransomware being deployed but not yet activated. And so, based on the relationships that we have in the field with some of those field forces, we will call uh, to let them know you have ransomware on your system. And that sometimes, uh, in many of the cases, prevented them from. Uh, actually having their worst day. And my friend, Jamil Farshi, who's the CISO of Equifax, actually did a a good post on this. And and so things like that, where we can use our trusted partnerships that we have and then use our field forces to do the notifications and make a real difference to prevent a ransomware attack, that's a terrific day for for what we can do at CISA. So the day-to-day is ransomware. But at the end of the day, the threat that I am most concerned about is China. Uh, And you only need to look at the intelligence community's annual threat assessment, which very clearly talks about the threat uh, from China in terms of their cyber capability. And I would recommend that everybody take a look at it because it was a pretty stark warning. And I think it has not gotten enough attention, frankly. And I think it's critical that anybody who owns a business, large or small, and certainly if you're a critical infrastructure owner or operator – you take a look at that and start thinking about the improvements that you need to make, not just to your cybersecurity, but also to your resilience. And perhaps we'll talk a little bit about how I see those two things uh, complementary, but slightly different. But on China, the IC assessment talks about in the event of a conflict, uh, China will almost certainly consider aggressive cyber operations against U.S. critical infrastructure, uh, to include rail, to include uh, oil and gas pipelines and is almost certainly capable of disrupting that infrastructure um, folks will will know that a couple of weeks ago Microsoft put out a blog about an actor uh, a PRC cyber actor which they called volt typhoon. <laughs> no idea how these things get names, but Volt Typhoon um, and talked about some of the intrusions that they are seeing in critical infrastructure. We then published a cybersecurity advisory with our NSA FBI and five eyes teammates that talked about the threat from Chinese cyber actors against critical infrastructure. And I would ask folks to take a look at that if you have interest in cybersecurity, which I assume everybody here does. Uh, And we also have a page on CISA.gov forward slash China where we are putting all of our uh, sort of threat information and then, of course, the important mitigation guidance. Uh, But I think this is the threat that we need to pay the most attention to, because given the formidable nature, the capability, how well resourced, how sophisticated Chinese cyber actors are, and this, of course, is something that other uh, folks in the government, in particular, Chris Ray, has talked about. Uh, I think it will be extraordinarily difficult Uh, notwithstanding our abilities to try and do it, to detect those actors in all of our networks. And so not only do we have to be prepared from a cybersecurity capability perspective, but also we have to be prepared for the disruptions. We have to train so that we can put in place manual overrides. We have backups. We are exercising so that we can recover in a way that mitigates the risk to the nation And, you know, as I I served as the head of resilience at Morgan Stanley and the way that we put resilience into place at a major financial firm is different than how we thought about building a cybersecurity capability. It was really all about identifying our critical business services and exercising and planning and exercising so that we could actually recover from significant disruptions. And frankly, I think that's the way we need to look at things now as we contemplate the very significant threat from China.
0: Good point. And tangential to that, of course, is an th- ongoing threat that we do or could still face from Russia. Uh, and uh, we we can't leave this discussion without talking about you and I, of course, are both Star Trek fans and yes. your Shields Up program Shields Up, exactly. and what you urge there when we worry about blowback from our support from u- the Ukraine invasion when Russia invaded
1: Ukraine. Yeah. yeah thanks for, for raising that. Because, of course, we, you know, Chris Singlis and, and I wrote the wrote the note about uh, an op-ed about, you know, Shields Up has to be the new normal. <laughs> We have to continue to raise the bar on our cybersecurity for critical infrastructure because cybersecurity is national security. And so the things that we put in place as part of that campaign are all still as relevant today to business leaders, to uh, businesses, to CISOs, and then, of course, to individuals about what we need to do to stay safe online. And just because we have not seen uh, significant malicious cyber activity directed against our critical infrastructure from the Russians, and there are many theories behind why, I think it's sort of a successive deterrence, both deterrence by punishment, given a fear of escalation based on the warnings that the president gave to Putin, but also um, uh, deterrence by denial because of all the work that critical infrastructure did in a very urgent way to shore up their cybersecurity. So I think it's a a positive news story. But I think just as we think about the threats that we talked about through the Nationwide Shields Up campaign, we need to think about the threats from China in the same way and be prepared as a nation to be able to withstand those significant threats going forward.
0: I completely agree. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF the podcast on every major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum and HSDF the podcast.